scaffold or something, you know, closing, closing schools all over the state. We're not going to receive that anymore, amen? amen. You're, I, have, I have done my bout with it this week. I'll tell you what. I, uh, Pastor Donna sends her love to you. As you know, she has gone through a serious set of dental procedures, and uh, she's still in a lot of discomfort. Uh, she we went back to the doctor. Everything's going well. She wanted to come this morning, but I forbade her to do that because... Uh, and she got up this morning. She said, I'm glad you told me I couldn't go to church. My face hurts. And it's like, poor thing. But we want to also thank you so much. You, you've sent meals, and you took care of us when we were both sick. And we just appreciate it so very much. Let's give the folks of LifePoint a round of appreciation. We're taking care of the sick. <clears throat> we appreciate it very much. And uh, <clears throat> I, think <I'm clears throat> I think I'm pretty much 100%. And I've still got a little bit of stuff trying to hang on. But it can't hang on in the presence of God. Amen? It's so good to see you here. There are a lot of things coming up that we're very excited about. And uh, this Wednesday night, I'm going to be here uh, to continue our Bible study. And we're going to be digging into the Word of God. It's going to be exciting. Next Sunday is, well, actually Sunday after next, is going to be an amazing Sunday. Because I'm planning a sermon that's going to challenge all of us in a very personal way. Um, you know... Abraham Lincoln went to a church service one time, and when he came out, a fellow parishioner asked him, did you enjoy the service? And he said, actually not very much, and a very famous preacher, a very famous church. And the pastor said, or the parishioner said, why not? And he said, because the pastor did not challenge me to do any or become anything great. And I thought, wow. Well, Sunday a week from now, you won't have that problem because <laughs> we're going to challenge one another and we're going we're to see just what amazing things God can do. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Wow. How many of you are single but one day you might be married? Raise your hand. Don't raise your hands to this one, but how many of you are married and wish you weren't and wish you were married to somebody else? No, I'm teasing. Don't, don't raise your hands. It's like, Pastor, you're going to start a war. But... Uh, this message today is going to be a benefit to you. Um, it's going to help you to understand, even if you aren't married. And I'll tell you what, I've seen people in their 80s find somebody and get married. So you, I know you're sitting, some of you may be sitting there thinking, not me, it'll never happen to me, and it may not ever. But <laughs> there's the outside chance that it might. And I want to say this to you. And I hope it doesn't happen, but if the marriage that you're in somehow doesn't work out, you need this information to get you ready for the next one that may come along. And we don't, we don't believe in divorce, but, you know, if it, it's God's will for the marriage that you're in to work. I said it's God's will for the marriage that you're in to work. Yeah. Amen. But there's a great deal of information and just powerful truth today from the Word of God that I believe is going to help all of us have the best marriage that we can have. And uh, in whatever dynamic, if we're not married or whatever happens, prepare for the next one. So I'm glad you're here. You picked a great Sunday. Pray for me that I, I'll have uh, the physical strength to, to do this the way I want to because the, the flu tends to knock you for a loop, you know. And uh, I'm only about, about five or six days from the start of the thing. 
I'll be honest with you, I've never had a headache like that in my life. I thought my head was going to explode. I mean, if my, if my skull cap had just blown up to the ceiling and my brains went all, I wouldn't have surprised me. That's how bad my, I've never had a headache like that. And I thank God that's gone. Whew, I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't. But uh, thank you for praying for us and thank you for holding us up in your prayers. We have some, some very exciting news for you today. Yes, we do. How many of you know what big initiative our church is doing? It's two words. What's it called? All in. All in. How many of you, raise your hand. How many of you want to go all in for God? All in for God. Totally nothing held back. That's it, man. That's the only way to live your life. Everything else is window dressing. It really is. How much money we make, how young we can retire if we ever get to, the stuff we have, our toy bag, all that is just fluff. What matters is what you've done for Jesus Christ and I'll tell you, what you've done for Jesus is going to be determined by who you've been for Jesus. So, I'm going to ask Pastor Josh to come, and he's going to share some information with us. I got a woohoo. What's up? How we doing? Yeah? My people this morning, we're awake? Excited? Man, all in. All in, all in. Oh, I'm so stinking excited about this. I just want to cut to the, the info. Um, golly, guys, when we get crazy for God, it is amazing to see what God can do through the church. Amen? Amen. I want to give you some numbers. We, we set some goals as a church because we believe like we're at a place spiritually as a, as, as a body of believers where God is, is moving us into, like it's kind of like a next season of ministry. It's not like one of those TV preacher things where God's always about to do something in your life and you know, there's all, God's always fixing to do something. It, you know, we feel like God is doing something right now. And what we do right now prepares us for the next step. You know, and we know what our next step um, as, as a church is. And we have set some crazy goals to double our outreach as a church to go nuts and, and, and support missions like we never have before, to invest in our student and in our children's ministries like we never have before as a church, to try to turn Douglas County and the surrounding areas upside down for Jesus Christ. And we wanted to be able to raise the bar in how we fund these ministries so we can do it with excellence and reach as many people as possible. Um, my goodness, guys. I feel like we may have shortcut these goals a little bit. I'm going to read some of this stuff to you. Um, listen to what God is doing in our church right now. I'm already hearing testimonies, too, because the, the, big, the big thing about All In, is like Pastor said, it's about us getting as close to God as we possibly can. And if as a church and as if it individuals, we get as close to God as we possibly can, the rest of this is going to take care of itself. Because if we move in step with our relationship with God, then as a body of believers, we're going to move in step with the vision of God for our church. Amen? Amen. So I'm excited. I want to give you some news. Guys, y'all got crazy. We challenge you to write down how many people you thought you could reach. You could reach and try to lead to the Lord and bring them into fellowship at LifePoint Church so that we could help them grow in their spiritual walk and grow closer to God. Y'all want to know how many people Life Point Church committed and pledged and said we believe that God can work through us to reach through all in just for this, this first season of what we're doing as a church? As a church, we thought we could reach 350 people and bring them in. 
That is awesome. That is awesome. 350 people we're committed to try to reach and bring in to fellowship. Now, that's you guys, and that's us. That's the leadership, and that's us. That's us reaching out. You know, if we do that alone, that's going to more than double the outreach of the church, whether we start another ministry in the church or not. I mean, we, got, we might have to rethink this thing. Maybe. We'll see. It's crazy. 350 people. You know, if we do that, we've already destroyed our goal for Easter before we even get there. Y'all remember the goal for Easter? We want to see 300 people in both services. Why? Because that means people are going to get saved. And that's what this is all about. We want people to know how much God loves them. We set a goal, and it was a crazy goal to us. We were thinking, what can we do to, in our, I guess our small thinking, to, to stretch out, and we believe, a good operating budget to get us a good first step in making these things happen as a church. We thought $5,000 a week would get us like a first step on the road to making these things happen so we could begin to invest in our student and children and begin to do some outreaches from the church to reach the community. Um, LifePoint Church, we came together as a leadership team. We came together as, as a body of believers. Are y'all ready for this? I, I mean, it's, it's kind of bad news because we did not meet our goal. We did, not, we did not pledge as a church to bring in $5,000 a week. We pledged as a church to bring in 6359 stinking dollars a week to reach this community for Christ. That's awesome. Y'all don't understand that. Y'all know what that just does to an operating budget of this church? That gives us firepower if we follow through and we stay all in as a body of believers. If we do this, that gives us some ammo in the gun to take out the devil and to reach some families in this community. That is stinking awesome, Life Point Church. That is awesome. And this is what we know, too. And this is kind of cool because we know probably about 20 to 25% of the church hasn't taken this step yet. So what we wanted to do, and I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but if you haven't filled out a commitment card, if you haven't really prayed a lot about what God might have you to do in going all in and, and becoming more involved in the church and giving to the vision and, and jumping into the heart of reaching this community for Jesus Christ, um, if, you, if you haven't filled out one of these cards yet and you just want the ushers to bring you one right now, we wanted to give you a chance because uh, we don't want anybody to feel like they're missing out on what's going on. And if you've got some questions about All In and what this All entails, because what I just gave you is, I mean, itty-bitty micro-dot of what we're believing God to do and the plan that we have to reach this community and, and, uh, and shake things up for the kingdom of God. But if you want, if you want to take a step and uh, you want to go All In with us and fill out a card, if you haven't yet, if you will, go ahead and slip your hand up in the air and the ushers will bring you a card. If not, no big deal. We've got a couple over here, ushers, if you will. Let's serve our people. Um, God, praise God for that, man. More commitment means more people being reached for the kingdom of God. And if you've got questions about how you can get involved um, further with All In, man, uh, come, come hit me up after service and I'll be more than happy to answer any questions that you have. There's a lot of things that we're going to begin to roll out over the next few weeks. All of that stuff we've been talking about over the last few weeks leading up to this, now's the time to begin to roll that out, guys. You, do y'all understand? Do y'all understand what God is doing in our church right now? Do y'all understand what has just happened to our church in just a few weeks? I'm so stinking excited about it. Um, 
you, you know what? Can we do this? I know Pastor Brad, and he's Pastor Brad's a good-looking guy, and he's going to come on up here and get ready to take up the offering. But can we just stand up and give God praise for what he's done through All In and what he's going to do through this church in the upcoming weeks? It is so stinking awesome. Yes. God is moving. We're so excited about what God is doing in our church. Uh, I wanted to talk to you. You can sit down uh, as you prepare for your offering, as, as we prepare to give. And I just want to encourage you, remember your commitments to all in because literally I, you know, God is going to use this money to reach Douglasville, the, the, you know, the city of Douglasville, the, I believe the state of Georgia, America, you know, the, the, the world. It, it literally, we, we've always started reaching the world by building a church in Africa. And, and we just believe that, that God is going to continue that. I want to talk to you just like one minute about provision, uh, provision. Who, who's our provider? Who is, who is the church's provision? Uh, I believe it's God. God owns everything. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He knows exactly what we need. And we believe that God is our provision. Uh, but I believe that the Bible lays out that, that he chooses to provide for his church through his people. Amen. That's a that's good news. The reason why that is good news is that I'm just so glad God didn't choose to provide for his church through uh, a, a pack of wild animals because because when we are committed and we give and we work out God's plan, that means we get the blessings. Amen. So, so as, as God uses us to provide for his church and not the wild animals, if, if he chose that, the wild animals will get the blessing. Amen. But they don't because he chose us. He chose you. He chose you. He, he spoke to you about all in and, and, and you wrote down a commitment. And so I just want to just encourage you, man. Uh, if you, if you feel kind of out on the edges of this church, go all in, go all in. Man, invest. God to speak to me uh, as we were worshiping. He, he, I believe God wants us to invest, invest our, our time, our money in, into this initiative. And God's going to bless as the men come. Uh, I just want to, you know, anytime you give uh, the youth pastor a mic, I just have to uh, do a shameless plug. Tonight we're having uh, our youth service. Uh, we're having a night youth service uh, at 6 p.m. We're giving out free donuts. We're going to be talking about relationships, and I believe I have a word f from God about uh, relationships in high school, because how many know that God needs to be in that? Amen. Yeah. Amen. And, uh, and so uh, I, I married my high school sweetheart, my best friend, and we're celebrating 15 years this year. And, and so and we're, we're believing for many more. So um, we haven't had it all right, but I believe I have a word from God. And so if you have a teenager, middle school, high school, whatever it is, get them here at 6 p.m. We're going to have worship. Sharina, that led worship tonight, leads worship for our this morning for our youth and and so get them here man we, we we're gonna even give out free donuts so who who uh who loves some free donuts amen amen let's pray god we love you we thank you 
God, I just pray that as you move in this, move through these people, and as they as they as they give out of out of what they have, Father God, out of what you've blessed them with, God, I pray that you would just continue to pour out blessing upon them, Father God, that that through giving you would build our faith, Father God, that that as as we go all in with you, Father God, I know sometimes commitment and, and time can be hard, but God, I pray that we would give out a faith, we would give out a, of, of a place of faith and knowing that you are a provider, Father God. Our job uh, is not our provider, but you are our provision, Father God, and you, you will be there, you will provide everything we need, Father God, but you have called your people to give and to provide for your church, Father God. Now bless them as they give this morning. We love you and we thank you. We all said, amen, amen. A noapte de vis, cerul tot s-a deschis, noi spunem pe la noapte, stelele jur, cu scântei de azur, minunata pe la And That's one of the greatest scenes in all the Disney movies to me. I love that from Lady and the Tramp. <clears throat> you know that he's smitten and his heart is completely enraptured with love because he gave her the last meatball. When your guy gives you the last meatball, you know it's love, no doubt about it. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and then we're going to get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you today because you're God and there's no God beside you. Father, I ask you to be with us in these few moments together. Let us go to your word. Let us look at the principles that you have taught us over the years. And I just pray that you will season our hearts with understanding that you will challenge us today to look into our own lives, into our own selves, into our own hearts, to go deeper to look with more honesty and truth and to be the kind of people that can expect to have a great marriage. And that's a key reality. We all want a great marriage. We all want to see successful things in life, but we've got to become the people that have a right to expect that because we live our lives in a way that invokes your blessing and is obedient to your word. So now, impart to us understanding and retention and the willingness to apply what we know because it is not enough to know. We must also act and there is no substitute for action. We must apply what we know to our lives and allow you to work it in and through us. 
Now do this by your spirit and through your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to start reading the very first verse. Now, a lot of times when a, a pastor or a, an evangelist or a public speaker starts reading the Bible, people kind of phase out and tune out. That's the last thing that you should do. When the pastor is reading the Bible, that's the only time you can be 100% sure that he's never going to be wrong. So, <laughs> and the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. The Word of God is the most important thing in our lives. Stories are great and preaching is great and 10-point outlines are wonderful, but I'm telling you, it's the Word of God that all of it grows from. You want to become the person you need to be. You want to have the life you desire. It's all in the Word of God. So as I read this, listen to every word. Take it to heart. Let it impact you. Here we go. Ephesians 5, 1. But among you there must not be even... That's not 5, 1. Here it is. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. These are some of the most powerful words that humanity possesses. Chapter 5 of Ephesians. One of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of, or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, listen, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. You don't, we, we, we live in a culture, a Christian culture, where this is predominantly not talked about in pulpits across America. The wrath of God coming on disobedient people. When's the last time you heard a sermon on television about that? There it is in the Bible. And it doesn't say God's wrath comes on sin. It says God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Be careful who your friends are. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out, well, this is a powerful statement. Find out what pleases the Lord. have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything is exposed by the light and it becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. This is one of our key verses in All In. And the thought is we need to be making the most of every opportunity we have as Christians to not only do the work of God and impact the, the, the community and, and be a part of the church, but to be our best version of ourselves. To be your best version of you. That's what God wants you to be. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, here we have two times Paul has said under the, under the injunction of the Holy Spirit. Number one, find out what pleases the Lord. Think about the power of that. And here again, he says, understand what the Lord's will is. 
there's a common thread being woven through this chapter. Know what God wants us to be and know what he wants us to do. And I'll give you a secret. If you will become what God wants you to do, wants you to be, it'll be easy to do what God wants you to do. If you become what God wants you to be, it'll be easy to do what God wants you to do. Because we do what we do because of who we are. By the same token, what we do in a circular way also impacts who we're becoming on a continuous basis. So listening to the word and reading it is very important. Here we go. Do not get, here's some specific things. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. What does debauchery mean? There's a word, debauchery. What does that mean? It just sounds so nasty. It means anything that is perverse or inconsistent with the teaching of God about holiness and propriety. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father, of, the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Everybody say one another. Out of reverence or respect for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is why the militant feminist movement is anti-Christian. Because you can't be a militant feminist and read this and marry those two. Nobody's trying to make women stay in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. And nobody's saying women can't have jobs and make decisions. Pastor Don and I make all our decisions together. But somebody has to be the head of the house and the family. A two-headed thing's a freak, and they always die. And it was not God's plan. So in the Bible, not from me, not from LifePoint, you know, people leave us. That preacher said and it got nothing to do with this preacher. If I were a recording device reading the Bible... And that's all I was. The Bible says the husband is the head of the wife, the head of the household. It's just biblical. Amen? Amen. Right, don't bind everything you see in the news. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Submission not meaning you're a slave or some peonic nobody. It means you willingly choose to agree and submit to authority. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. See, church is God's idea. It's right here, to present her to himself as a radiant church. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Tell you what, guys, if you love your wife like that, you'll never have to worry about an issue with submission. I got one good woman, amen. Let me try that again. Take two. 
Guys, if you love your wives like that, you'll never have to worry about a submission issue. Much better. I heard even one of the guys said amen there. I like that. All right. Point number one. And I want you to look in the seat back around you. And I was hoping to get a, a chat room up, but we, uh, we never got that going. But in the seat back around you, there is a three-by-five card. And if you have a question about marriage, I want you to write it down. And you can do that whenever you want it. Bring it back over the next Sunday or, or two and put it in the offering bag. And I'll come back to this subject. We're going to do a special series of services between Mother's Day and Father's Day. They're going to be fantastic. We're going to have some live presentations up here. And we're going to talk about marriage and family. It's going to be awesome. So the questions that you write down today and over the next few days, I will deal with those during that time between Mother's Day and Father's Day this summer when we're going to do our series on family. So I've got 10 points I want to walk through quickly with you this morning, but, but enough that we understand what we're talking about. And number one is marry the right one. Marry the right one. If you don't do this, nothing else I say is going to matter. Now, why are we doing all in? What's the big deal? Why are we pushing everybody to get close to God? Pastor Lance, wave at everybody. Pastor Lance was, was our full-time associate pastor for many, many years. And uh, love and respect him very much. I hope maybe one day do that again. I don't know. <laughs> Just whatever, whatever God wants. But we played golf one day at Oak Mountain Golf Course over in Carrollton. And, you know, when you play golf, you're not supposed to get ahead of the person who's hitting the ball. That's dangerous. But I got impatient, and I went running down and on the cart and got over there and was walking across, to, and Lance was still up in the fairway, and I was down around the green, and I heard this faint little voice go, Four. <laughs> What was that sound? And then I heard, Shh, and then I felt, whack, right on my shin bone. And Lance had hit a golf shot, and he saw it going toward me. And when you, when you see somebody in danger of being hit by your golf shot, you yell, four, F-O-R-E, four. You yell it, and that, you know, four right, four left. If you watch the pro golf tournaments, it's great to sleep to. But if you watch the pro golf tournaments, <laughs> sooner or later, one of them's going to hit a bad shot, and they'll go, four right, or they'll just point their hand that way. And everybody over there, if you're smart, you'll duck. The idiots go, but Lance had hit a shot, and it was coming straight for me. And he was screaming, four, four. But to me, it sounded like he was, four. <laughs> and I hadn't known Lance all that long. And the thing whacked me on the shin. I was like, Arr. So he came over, and he said, I'm sorry, Pastor. I was yelling for, but my voice only goes about this far, and then it just falls off. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But if Lance had been standing real close to me, like from here to the sound booth, Yell four real loud, Lance. Yell four real loud. Four. See, you can hear that. But 175 yards away, that sounds like four. <laughs> the reason we're doing all in is so that, you ready? We will all be close enough to God to hear what he is saying to us. The further you are from God, the harder it is to hear him. The more stuff gets between you and him, the more distance creates less clear communication. We want us to be as close to God as we possibly can so that we can hear him, so that we can know what God is saying. 
Marry the right one. You want to marry the right one? You want to marry the right one? You got to know who he or she is. The only way to know who he or she is is go all in with God so you can hear God say, that's the one. You want to hear God say, what was that, Lord? Oh, God, I need to know. I mean, this guy's trying to take her from me, and I need to know if I need to make a move. And God's going, you need to be able to hear him. So get close to him. Now, time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping. Time messes with people. As time goes by, we begin to feel less and less certain about what's going on in our lives. As time goes by, over a long period of time, this thing kind of creeps up in our spirits called desperation, frustration, uncertainty. Somebody looks around, they're, they're 28, 29, 30, 31 years old. They don't really have a significant other going on. They don't really see marriage on the horizon. You start to feel urgency. You start to feel pressure. You start to feel frustration. You start to feel kind of desperate. I want to tell you something. It is worse by far to marry the wrong one than to stay single. Don't let frustration, don't let desperation steer you from the best to the good. Because when it comes to marriage, you don't want the good, you want the best. And God, I don't believe, you know, I, I didn't see in Genesis where God created Adam and then he created six brothers for him and then he created Eve and six sisters and said, okay, y'all work it out and take your pick. I know it may seem a little narrow, narrow fused to you, but I believe God does have a specific person in your life that he designed you to be with. I believe that. I know a lot of preachers don't preach that because it's too complicated to preach in, in our society because our society is too complicated and they just make it simple saying, well, if, you know, God just wants you to be happy. And if you're happy, God's happy. Well, I think if you're doing God's will, you're going to be happy. And I think Matthew 7, 21, 22, and 23 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will. I think doing God's will is paramount in this life. In order to do God's will, we've got to be close enough to God to know what His will is. I was engaged to a girl. We were going to be married. When I looked up and saw Pastor Donna walking across the campus of Southeastern College. And I know what you think. Yeah, you saw that cute figure in them, in them blonde curls and that cheerleader little, little figure and all that. And, you, you just were attracted to her physically through sheer lust. I won't deny that, that I was attracted to her, but that was not all it was. I felt the earth move under my feet. Excuse me. I just had a moment there. It was more than that. I felt... I used to play football at school, pick up football with a guy. And all of us get together, this guy named Johnny Singletary. And every play, he would say, who's going to shift? Like every, somebody had to shift every play. Well, I felt something shift. I shifted. 
And I wanted to see, I wanted to make sure she wasn't an Afghan hound. You know, they have that long, beautiful hair. And then, <laughs> I didn't want that. So I followed her <laughs> to, the, to the chapel and went across the way. And I, back then, I could actually see. And I looked, and she came in the door, and I was like, this might show enough to be God. <laughs> no, but seriously. So the point is, I really felt like God wanted me to pursue and find out what might be between Donna and me. And that's correct English there. Between, between Donna and me. Not between Donna and I. Between Donna and me. I wanted, to, I wanted to please God. I wanted to know what God said. And I felt, his, I felt His Spirit drawing my heart toward her. And I'll tell you what. Being close enough to God at the time that I could hear Him. I thank, I thank God it was worth every, everything I sacrificed to pray. It was worth all the hours of turning down the television and getting out of the weird stuff. And focusing on God. Because that was the best decision of my life next to salvation. And I'm going to tell you something. Next to salvation, spirit baptism, the person you marry is probably the most important important decision in your life marry the right one nothing worse than marrying somebody that is not the one god had for you be patient with the process it's not written in stone anywhere that you have to rush into something or accept the first person that comes down the pike the purpose of dating is to discover the truth and reality about each other and to, and to test the waters and find out if it might be God. Well, I'm so spiritual. If God led me to somebody, I believe that's the right one. No, God may be leading you to somebody for you to find out if there is a chemistry that can work, if she is or he is the right one. I'm not saying you have to marry the first person you date. I mean, I've, I've gone and talked to churches that called me up, and not since I've been here, but before I came here, I, I sat with some church people and, and uh, their boards and you know, before I came here, and I didn't feel like it was God at all. Several opportunities came. I didn't even go sit with the board. I've had a bunch of opportunities since I've been your pastor. I hadn't even gone and talked to anybody. So it's, it's about knowing the voice of God to the point that you know what His will is for your life. So marry the right one, and everything else will be a whole lot better. Number two, you'll never do that without being close to God. You'll never do number one without being close to God. That's number two. You'll never do number one. You'll never do that without being close to God. So be close to God. And we've already talked about that. We've already covered that. How do you get close to God, Pastor? Well, first of all, you have to make time for God. How do you get close to a person? How many of you know Fred Burnsworth from Arkansas? Anybody know Fred Burnsworth from Arkansas? Me either. But if I wanted to get to know Fred Burnsworth from Arkansas, I would have to do what? I'd have to start getting in contact with Fred, wouldn't I? I'd have to spend time with him, emailing Fred, texting Fred, calling Fred. Then I'd say, hey, Fred, you want to go play golf? Let me hear you say four. <laughs> no. You want to go fishing? <laughs> if Fred goes four, I'm saying, I don't want to play with you. Let's go fishing. <laughs> okay. You have to spend time with God. What does that mean? I think a lot of times we say these words from pulpits and people listening to us don't understand what these words mean. 
What does it mean to spend time with God? It means to turn everything off in your house and all your devices and go someplace and pray and talk to God. And you don't have to talk to God in King James English. You talk to God like He's your friend. And I'm not going to give you a bunch of rules on prayer. Just start out talking to God. That's what all in is about. Get closer to God. And you do it, first of all, by praying. Second thing you do is open the Bible and read it. I don't like to read. Stop. Stop. Stop making excuses so you can be the same person you are today. We all do that. We all make excuses that justify us staying where we are. You know why? Because we're comfortable here. We're comfortable where we are. I've got a little love seat in my house. It's gloriously comfortable. Since I've been sick, I've become well acquainted once again with my little love seat and the recliner thing that goes up. My body enjoys that. But I know that as soon as I get completely well, I've got to go back to the cardio and back to the weights and back to the crunches and back to the stuff that I hate to do because it's good for me. We tend to gravitate toward the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance will always give you the basket of least results. The path of least resistance will always give you the basket of least results. You want results, it takes effort. You want things to work, it takes work. So if you want to better your life, if you want to better your marriage, if you want to improve yourself, decide it's worth it. And get after it, amen? Amen. Number three, love is commitment and emotion and physical attraction. And all of it. I'm so sick of getting up here and hearing, and, and, not getting up here, but turning on the television or listening to a, a podcast or, or a YouTube video and seeing people talk about how love is not emotion. Love is commitment. Love's commitment. Love's commitment. Love's commitment. Yeah, love's commitment. But if love is just commitment, you can love your dog as much as you can your wife. <laughs> love's more than commitment. I want to tell you love is emotion, Jackson Brown. Because I love my wife with great and intense emotion. I feel emotional. I mean, I love Donna. I love her. And, and it's emotional. And when she came out of that, out of that uh, dentist office and her face was all swollen up and she, was, she just looked like I, I just, she went five rounds with me in the octagon. It just looked terrible. I sat there and looked at her and it broke my heart. I couldn't help but cry. I cried. I I love my wife. I love her emotionally. Love is commitment, but it's more than just that. Don't settle for a life that's a contractual commitment. Don't settle for a marriage that's just a worked-out arrangement. Bring the fire back in this thing. Bring the passion back in this thing. Fall in love again. Care. Feel. Love is commitment, but love is also emotion. And love is physical attraction. I mean, love, that's part of it. That's part of it. Um, Don and I have this little thing that we've talked about, and we really can't define it, but it's real to us. I'm going to have to get a drink of water, excuse me. And we just kind of happened upon it one day by happenstance, just talking. And we decided, and we talked about this, that both of us, up to the time we met each other, we, we'd always dated other people, you know, until we met each other. 
And when you date around, you know, you, you, you get with people and you go out to eat and you talk and you go see movies, you go to the lake, you go to the beach, you do whatever. And I said to her, I said, you know, you're the first, or maybe she said it first, she said, you're the first guy that's never creeped me out. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, I don't know. It's just a feeling I always got when I was with a guy, no matter how good looking. And Donna was beautiful. Donna was the cheerleader at the top of the pyramid. All the guys wanted to date her. I mean, I, I, had, to, I had to be ready to kill them all, you know. <laughs> I mean, she was, she was the little, little girl at college. All the guys wanted, I'm telling you the truth. Um, and I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, all the guys I've ever been with, at some point in our relationship, it was like, Ooh, get away from me. You just creep me out. And I said, I know. I felt the exact same way. Even, even the girl I was engaged to at, at certain points, I just like, oh, okay, I'm going to go home now. I just, <laughs> just want to get away. They didn't do anything. I mean, they didn't have anything hanging. They just creeped me out, you know. And she's the first person that didn't do that to me, and I'm the first person that didn't do that to her. That's chemistry. That's part of the attraction of it. Listen. Love in your marriage is going to be what you decide it's going to be. You can make your marriage wonderful. And I'm going to tell you what I don't believe. I've, I've, and I could play them. I've got videos that I could play of how women are, are from, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, you know. Our, our brains are wired so differently and the greatest the greatest, most complex question in the universe is understanding the female, you know. And, and all these videos, all these, these books and all these things, and, they, and what they try to propagate to us is that men are from one planet and women are from another planet, and we never really come to the place where we fully understand each other. And we all go, ah, <laughs> that's funny stuff. And then we go home and we live the same marriage we've always had. I want to challenge you not to buy into that. God made us. God made us in the image of his own self. He made us with a mind. He made us, to, we are different, yes. And thank God for those differences. But they're not to the extent that we can't learn one another and can't figure out how to get along. I understand my wife completely. She understands me completely. And we get along beautifully. And I'm not up here trying to impress you. We do get along beautifully. I mean, we just do. Our marriage is wonderful. And it's not just our marriage, like we're some special people that have figured some special. Anybody that will agree with what the Bible says and do what the Bible says can have a great marriage. And no matter where your marriage is right now, I mean, if you found out this morning before church that your spouse is really in love with, with somebody of, of their own sex, you know, I'm telling you, God can heal and forgive and bring all that around to his, his perfect redemption and God can heal marriages that go through even things like that. God can heal your marriage. No matter how devastated your marriage may seem today, God can restore it. I said God can restore it. I said God can restore it. You just have to believe that. Number four, never break your spouse's trust. Never break your spouse's trust. At some point, most spouses, most partners in a marriage are going to have the opportunity to have an affair. Let's just cut to the chase and talk about it. Most people are going to have an opportunity to have an affair. Usually Satan is going to engineer that 
at a time when your relationship with your spouse is highly vulnerable, at a moment when you've had difficulties, at a time when you're going through strenuous times, at a time even when perhaps you've become lackadaisical in your relationship. It's become commonplace. You're sort of, you're sort of used to one another. You're jaded to it. I found in the ministry uh, counseling people that most affairs occur either the first year, the third year, or somewhere around the seventh year of a marriage. It's not something you can take to the bank, but it seems like those, those three brackets are the most broad. Of course, it can happen anytime. Don't break your spouse's trust. When you find somebody that you find yourself attracted to or they're attracted to you, there's a chemistry. Listen, let's not kid ourselves. We all know it. When there's somebody of the opposite sex and you find them attractive and they find you attractive, there's something about our human nature. We pick up on that. I don't know if it's pheromones. I don't know if it's internal chemistry or radar. I don't know what it is. But we know it. We can sense it. We can, we can tell. And you can't really hide that. That's no different than any other temptation. It's not the fact that there may be an attraction or there may be something that's, that's chemistry-oriented there. It's what do we do with that? That's the key. That's the real key. It's not that we're tempted. Jesus was tempted. You'll never get so righteous and holy you won't be tempted. But it's what are you going to do with that temptation? The most dangerous thing you can do is play in your mind over and over what it might be like if. I wonder what would happen if. If I chose to, what would I do and how would I do it? Even not necessarily to, to go, and go to a hotel room, just to find out how much chemistry is there. Oh my goodness, you are dancing on the crusty edge of a lava pit, my friend. You are. You need to stop right there. That's where 2 Corinthians chapter 10 comes in and says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Ladies, let me tell you something. It's not the woman in the porn video that you got to worry about. And I'm not saying that it's okay to watch porn. That's a sin, all right? We good? I'm not saying that's okay, not giving anybody a pass to watch porn. But ladies, it's not the chick in the porn video that represents the real threat to you. It's the girl that he works with or that he's hanging out with a lot or that's in the neighborhood or, or wherever. Oh, yes, dare I say it, dare I say it, even the girl at church. Ladies, it's the, it, it, guys, it's the same with your wife. It's not the model on the cover of Men's Health magazine with the, with the eight-pack you could stack quarters in that's the problem. It's the guy she works with. It's her, it's her, it's her guy friend. I heard the voice of Jesus there. Get shot like the rest of them. So what happens if this does happen? What happens if somebody breaks the spouse's trust? And I want to tell you where it happens first. There's never been a couple, never been a couple, I don't believe, in the history of the world Guy's at work, he's at a hotel, he's standing in front of the elevator, doors open, there's a beautiful woman. He rushes in, grabs her, bends her over, kisses her, and they rush to a hotel room and have passionate sex. I don't think that's ever happened. Where a fair start is not in a hotel room, where a fair start is right here between our ears. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is so important. We take captive every thought to make them obedient to Christ. 
Number five, if you've already been through number four, if the trust has been broken, then forgiveness must be complete. Now, I want to tell you a trick about forgiveness. When you've been deeply hurt like that, forgiveness is not just a one-time decision. It's over and done. Forgiveness is a process in some cases. If you've been through this and your heart has been ripped out of your soul, don't condemn yourself because you've You've not been able to magically forgive and get over everything overnight. Don't beat yourself to death. But the forgiveness has to grow to the point that it is complete. And I'm going to tell you the first step toward that is wanting your forgiveness to be complete. Why do we not want to forgive people who hurt us? I'll tell you why. Because we feel like by, and this is a subconscious thing. I don't even think this is something that's in the front of our minds. I believe that we feel like by withholding our complete forgiveness, we're, we're meeting out a little bit of punishment. We're reminding them. We're letting them know, you messed up. You hurt me. And all that's going to do is take a fine scalpel and just reopen that wound a little bit. When I was in my wreck in 1976, they couldn't figure out why I was losing all the blood. And uh, I'm not going to get into the story. But in order to stop the internal bleeding, they took me to Charleston Medical Center, and they split me from here to here to do exploratory surgery to find out if my spleen or liver was ruptured. Well, the doctors didn't think I was going to live, so they didn't actually stitch me up. They just put tape across it and, and two long sutures that they wove through like, a, like an S shape all the way through the bottom and all the way through the top and tied them in a knot in the middle. There weren't even stitches like you normally would, would see and tape. And then they set me up in the bed like this so I wouldn't drown. I don't know how long, but this scar started healing pretty good. It was weeks. And then one day they decided they wanted to take me down and x-ray something, and this scar had been healed a pretty good bit. But they laid me flat on a stretcher and pulled that scar tissue straight. And it just kind of tore open and started bleeding all over the place. You talk about painful. That hurt. If I'd have thought about my rear end, I'd have pooped myself. It just hurt. <laughs> it just hurt, man. That's what, that's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness lets something partially heal and then rips it open again. And it didn't rip it all the way open. My guts didn't hang out. But it tore it open just enough to make it bleed and hurt like rip snort. Whatever rip snort is. That's what unforgiveness does. It takes a wound and it just rips it open again. We've got to come to the place where we want forgiveness to be complete. Listen to me now. This will set you free. It is not our job to punish people who've hurt us. It is not your job to take God's place the Bible says, it is mine to avenge, says the Lord, I will repay. God, and if you want God to work in this person's life, as long as your emotional hands are in there, and you shouldn't have done that, and you won't let them go, and you won't release them to God, and you got all these feelings, and you're vexed, as long as you're doing that, God can't get in there and work on them the way he wants to, because they're partially distracted by your unforgiveness, and your hands are on them. Take your hands off. I'm not saying... Well, fooey on you, I'm done. I'm not saying that. I'm saying forgive them and, and let, let, the, let the punishment, the correction part, the, the you did me wrong, let all that go. Let, leave it up to God to fix that part of the thing. You've got to do that. Leave it up to God to fix and reprove. You can't fix your spouse. You can't fix anybody's heart. 
You can't make them, listen, you can't make somebody sorry. You, when you big guys come up here, grab me, throw me down the floor, beat my face in. But if I'm not wanting to be sorry in here, no matter what you do here is going to make me sorry. It'll just make me hurt and bitter and angry. And the same is true with your spouse. You can't force them emotionally to regret what they've done or to feel shameful enough. Leave all of that emotional correction, repair, and restoration, leave that to God. Your job is to forgive and to love and to support. And I know you've been hurt. But the other side of that coin is this. As long as you're focused on fixing and punishing, you're not going to get healed either. Forgiveness must be complete. Let your forgiveness run its course and, and come to maturity. Number six. Say, I'm ready for this, preacher. <clears throat> Sex is never to be used as manipulation. I actually heard a Christian woman one time at a women's little gathering tell the women, a Christian woman in a church gathering, told the women, your husband don't do what you want him to do? Well, you just withhold yourself from him a little bit. The, that's directly opposite of what the Bible says. Now, it's amazing, as a pastor, we, we have the hardest time in the world keeping people out of the bedroom before they're married. And after they get married and they're married a few years, we have the hardest time in the world getting them back in the bed. What's wrong with this picture? Sex is never to be used as manipulation. Sex is not a bargaining chip. Sex is not a reward and punishment. Sex is not control levers. And if anybody's ever told you this, they're, they're going to hell. They're wrong. I'm not saying seriously, but they're wrong. Sex should never be an argument in your house. By the same token, if your wife comes home and she looks like Pastor Donna after the dentist appointment, leave her alone. I didn't get Pastor Donna home that night and her sitting there drooling on herself and out of her mind on painkillers and stitches and all this stuff and gauze and, and go, hey, baby. <laughs> if she could have found a gun, she would have shot me if I'd done that. I was sitting there feeding her pain pills and getting the gauze out of there so she wouldn't choke on it. And it was really difficult because her tongue was too numb to swallow the pain pills, but she was starting to hurt. So she was hurting, but her tongue, she goodness gracious, I felt so bad. Then she started going, I said, what is it? You've got to have the interpretive power of the Holy Ghost, you know. Somebody comes home from the dentist's office, they, they say stuff that don't make no sense. Makes perfect sense to me. You know, if you say it louder and open your eyes bigger, people understand your gibberish, you know. So I, she said, ha, oh, oh, ah. So I, I looked in her mouth, and sure enough, her gauze had floated up and was going down her throat. I was, okay. Communication. Sex. Listen, great sex, great sex starts in the kitchen. Great sex starts in the yard. Great sex starts in the living room. Pastor, I don't mean all that. 
Not like it sounds. I mean, if you want to have a great relationship intimately, do your part as part of the whole house. I wash dishes on a daily basis. The only thing I refuse to do in my house is make up the bed. I absolutely am never going to make the bed. I think making up the bed, and I know you military guys hate this, I think making up the bed is the dumbest thing in the world. I'm going to crawl back in it tonight. I ain't spending three minutes making No! I'm just not ever, ever, ever. That's me. But I'll wash dishes. I'll do laundry. I'll vacuum the floors. Bad as I hate the sound of a vacuum cleaner. And, you know, Donna Lock Cook. I can't cook. Yes, you can. Learn how. Anybody that can take a motor apart and put it back together, you can make a pot stew. I can take that motor apart, but I don't know how to cook. Yes, you can. Learn how. That's woman's work. No, it's not. You get hungry enough, <laughs> you'll learn how. What to do with a squirrel and a potato. Okay. Great sex is not something you have because you walk in the bedroom. It's something you have because you walk in unity and closeness and relationship every day. You can have all the... You can have Andre Bocelli. Besame, besame mucho. You can have that all you want to. You can have candles. You can have rose petals to the bathtub. You can be... I won't say that. You can be dressed, guys, any way you think is attractive. <laughs> and it's not going to matter if last week you cussed her out, pushed her around the house, and treated her like dirt. See? What if I flew off the stage, jumped across two rows, tackled Big John, and put him in a headlock and choked him unconscious? And as soon as he woke up, and as soon as he woke up, I looked at him and said, hey, John, let's go fishing next week. John, go, go, pastor, what's wrong with you? That's how we treat one another as spouses. The woman, woman just dressed her husband down to the point he has no respect, no self-confidence, called him every derogatory name you can think of, and now all of a sudden, two nights later, she, she's in a little nighty and wants to be frisky, and he's still thinking about, you loser, zero idiot. It doesn't work that way. You know what, G guys? G go cut the grass. Sweep the floor. Ladies, ladies, do your part in the house too. I know you're saying, how dare you? Look. I wrote a song years ago called Pigpen. It starts, goes like this. There's dirty dishes in the sink. The garbage can is really starting to stink. There's clothes all over the floor. I can't stand this mess no more. Don't even want to talk about laundry. I haven't done it in a month, I know. I can walk through the house without touching the carpet. On the dirty clothes I go. <laughs> however you assign your chores around the house, however you do things, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not getting in your business, not fussing, not trying to make anybody feel bad, but a filthy house is just not sexy. You want to help each other in the, in the bedroom, be a husband and a wife, all the rest of the time. Say sweet things to each other. Treat one another with respect. 
little touches, little soft kisses. Donna couldn't stand it last night before we went to bed. She said, you got to kiss me. We haven't haven't been able for you to kiss me in in days. You got to kiss me. And so she she got close. She went, real easy, real easy, real easy. (laughs) What do you think I'm going to do? Grab you. You got stitches in there. I'm not going to hurt you. So I just barely touched him. I said, is that okay? She said, "Mm mm-hmm. Don't ever use sex as a bargaining chip. Don't ever use sex to manipulate or control. You'll ruin the sanctity of the bedroom. The Bible says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Ladies and gentlemen, do not bring mental pornography into the bed with you. That is a shameful disrespect to your spouse. Be there with them. Conway Twitty wrote one of the most evil, wicked, perverse, degenerate songs that's ever been written. I'm lying here with Linda on my mind. Oh, Conway, somebody should have beat you over that. I'm lying here with Linda on my mind. Don't you never lie there with nobody on your mind but your spouse. Number seven. Here's a great, deep theological statement I want you to try to wrap your brain around. Stop arguing all the time! I just want to scream this from the housetops. Climb up the Empire State Building like King Kong and grab an airplane with a banner on the side. Stop arguing! Ah! I know you, you think I'm crazy. Well, Pastor, nobody does that. Oh, yes, they do. And argue about nothing. Why do we get mad and argue about nothing? Half the time, ten minutes into an argument, you, if I ran in the house and said, Stop! What are you arguing about? they go, <laughs> They don't know. Because it moves and morphs and grows and escalates into something different than what it started. Most arguments don't start over legitimate issues. Most arguments start over power and control. All my life I was raising the assemblies of God and went to seminary and college believing and being taught that communication is the biggest problem in marriage. That is not true. The biggest problem in marriage is power struggle. That's the biggest problem in marriage in the earlier years. Most people get divorced because one person wants to control, they want their way, and the other person tries to make the best of it, and and usually the person who's trying to dominate is the person who destroys the relationship. Stop trying to control everything. Stop trying to win. You may win, but you're going to lose. The Bible says, blessed are the who? Peacemakers. Think of that. But, But I won't get in the last word. You don't need to. But I might not win the argument. You don't need to. And can I tell you this? Talking louder doesn't make you any more right. I don't know why we think it does. Number eight, live within your means. Finances is a big deal in marriage. Live within your means and never punish your spouse because of your means unless they're lazy. And then be careful what you say. Encourage them. Don't beat them over the head with their laziness. It can be very difficult to be with somebody, especially somebody who has come from a family that was reasonably wealthy, and you are not. And both of you decide you're going to try to make it, 
and you, you didn't marry each other for money, you married for love, and yet you, you're not able to provide the same level of, of financial comfort that they were used to. That can be very, very difficult. Stop comparing your spouse to your family. Stop beating them over the head with the fact that you don't live in the nicest house, drive the nicest car, have the nicest jewelry, the newest clothes. Be happy in love where you are and learn to live within your means. <clears throat> the most dangerous thing to a married couple financially is credit cards and debt. If I could encourage you to avoid one thing, it would be credit card debt. I'm not saying don't get a credit card. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying take all your credit cards and cut them up. It's okay to have them. Just keep them under control. And as a sidebar tip, it's very good for your, for your credit score if you've got some credit cards with no money on them, just empty there in case of an emergency. If you've got three credit cards, they're all maxed out. It's going to be devastating to your credit score. All right? Be careful about this. You can house yourself out of a, li out of a life. When you, get, when, you, when you get ready to buy a house, stop and think. We, don't, don't let, tell the real estate agent, don't take me to a mansion first. They do this. They take you to a house that's at the very peak or even a little bit outside your budget, and, and then nothing else you look at compares, and so you feel dejected and disappointed. Don't let them play that trick on you. Don't buy more house than you can afford. Don't do it. It's one of the most dangerous, dangerous things that you can do. So live within your means. Everybody that made commitments on All In, and those of you who haven't yet, I want to encourage you to get involved in this. Listen, tithing has been proven to work over and over and over by millions of people for the last 2,000 years, even beyond that. Tithing works. So if you, and in the, in the, book, of, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, the Bible says this, it is better not to make a vow than to make a vow and break it. So if you made a commitment to all in, I, I dare say to you in the name of Jesus, stand true to that commitment, make it work, make it happen, and God will take care of your needs. Live within your means. This is very important. A lot of couples get in trouble, have frustration, argue, and end up divorcing over financial pressure. Put God first, and he'll take care of you. Number, number nine, talk about everything. Communication is important. Communication takes effort. It takes effort after a long day of hard work to come into the house and get cleaned up, sit down, and all you want to do is sit there and mentally disengage and just let your mind rest and your body rest. And your spouse wants to talk. Listen, pretend your house is on fire. You wouldn't sit in that chair and burn to death if your house was on fire. No matter how tired you were, you'd get up and you'd get out of the house at least, if not try to save some of your stuff. Pretend it's that important to talk to your spouse. Suck it up, buttercup. Dig down deep. Pull up those bootstraps. Dredge up the emotional energy and engage in conversation with your spouse, whichever one you're talking about. I tell you what, everybody, everybody thinks that, that men are the quiet, silent types and the women just talk like birds. But that's not always true. I've known some ladies that were very quiet and reserved, and the men were the talkers. So it doesn't, it doesn't always work that way. The, the issue is this takes effort. This costs you emotional money. When you're tired, when you don't feel like talking about stuff, when you're talked out, when you're worked out, 
but your spouse is sitting there, man, can I, let me just tell you what, what God, or you want to watch the news or your favorite show, you know, and, and somebody in your life wants to talk to you. Talking to them is more important than anything on television. Talking to them is more important than anything on the internet. Shut down that almighty powerful cat video and don't wonder about what the next person on Facebook or Instagram is eating for dinner that night. Eat your dinner. Talk to your spouse. Invest in your marriage. Lastly, keep God as the center. Keep God as the center of your marriage. You know I'm going to say this, and, we, and this is why I want you to make sure that you come to church this coming Sunday and the next Sunday, because I'm going to talk about how you do this, not only in your marriage, but in your life. Because, listen, great marriages are made up of great people. I say that understanding that when I say that, it doesn't mean you're superior. It just means you're, you're mature, you're growing, you're becoming the kind of Christian that can deal and process and work his way or her way through things. Great marriages, it's not a mystery. Having a great marriage is not some mystical thing that just falls out of the sky on your head. Having a great marriage starts in here, and it happens by design, on purpose, with intent. Because you choose to become the kind of person who can be a partner in a great marriage. Until you and I grow to the point individually that we can be a significant, Christian, wise, mature, loving, sensitive, emotional, conversant, disciplined spouse, we are not going to have the greatest marriage because we're not the kind of people who can be that kind of a spouse. If you can't be a partner of, of excellent Christian character and morality and judgment and prudence and behavior, how can you expect to have a great marriage? Great marriages start in the heart of each person and each person becoming their best version of themselves. That's what makes great marriages. It takes time. It takes maturity. It takes personal growth. Keep God as the center yeah, I mean, you can have a big King James that weighs 18 pounds on the coffee table and Christian symbols all over your house, listen to Pandora worship music all day long if you want to. But if you are not there inside your heart and mind, it, all the external paraphernalia is not going to mean God's the center of our home. God to be the center of your home, God has to be the center of your heart and your spouse. And look, we all hear that. And, and that just sounds so churchy. And that sounds so preacher-fied. And that sounds so Christianese. God, the center of your heart. What does that really mean? It means you got to put God first in what you want out of this life. It means you got to want God more than you want anything else. you got to go all in. This whole all-in thing, the main beneficiary is not going to end up being the church. The main beneficiary of all-in is going to end up being you and me. Because we're going to go all in in our walk with God and everything else in your life. All the good things you could ever have or be are going to be a result of going all in in your heart with God. Every good in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You want to live the blessed life? You want to live an overcoming life? 
You want to live a life of abundance. You want to have a great marriage. You want to have great kids. You just want your life to be a success. When you say success, people automatically think dollar signs. There's some things money can't buy. I don't care how rich you are. You cannot buy a great marriage. You cannot buy good kids. You cannot buy a wonderful family relationship. Those things cannot be purchased. They occur because we go all in for God and we become the kind of people who can create those things by the way we behave in our lives with God's help. Now that, I'm going to tell you something. That is some powerful truth. To challenge ourselves, Dave, if you'll come play, to challenge ourselves to become the best version of me I can, with God's help, through God's grace, by God's word, with God's spirit, with my own discipline and effort and growth, to rise above what I've always been. All of us are today a compendium. We're the end result of all the decisions we've made up till today. We are what we are because we've been what we've been. If you want something different, you've got to become something different. I want you to think about that because that's very powerful. We're all today what we are because of who we've been up to now. If you want your life in the future to look different, you and I have to become different inside here. Closer to God, more spiritually minded, growing in the likeness of Christ, maturing, leaving, listen, leaving things behind that hinder us. And as I close, I want to I tell you this, and I want you to listen. I might, have, I might have gone a little bit long today, but I want you to listen to me. There's a reason why in the book Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, there's a phrase in there that says, it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. In marriage, many times, it's the details. It's the little stuff that keeps our marriage from being what it should be. In your life, in your walk with God, Nobody in here is going to go out this afternoon and kidnap a baby, murder somebody. Chances of that happen are practically non-existent. It's not, it's not those huge, major, over-the-top things that keep us back in our growth. It's the little everyday stuff. Little here, little there, bit by bit. It's the little tiny foxes in our lives, the hindrances that spoil the vine of who we can become. And if we will decide, you know what? Enough with the old me. Enough with the way I've been up to now. I'm daring and challenging. I'm tightening the screws on me. I'm going to change my life. I'm taking control of the reins of decision making. I'm not just going to go through life and follow the path of least resistance and just go through the motions and let life happen. I'm going to take charge of my life under God's leadership and I'm going to make myself submit to God. I'm going to make myself the greatest, best version that I can be of me through Jesus' help. I'm going to be the best Christian me that I can be. And you start making decisions like that, and your life is going to start looking very, very different, and it's not going to take a whole lot of time for it to happen. Let's all stand. Get out of our seats and come gather around the altar. Father, I pray over these beautiful people today. 
But even though we're talking about marriage, it goes beyond and deeper than that. It transcends just a marital relationship, and it, it begins, we begin to see how all in affects every area of our lives. We begin to see how this, this decision to commit afresh and new ourselves totally, 100%, unreservedly to you, to invest ourselves in you, to invest ourselves in the study of the word, in prayer, in worship, in giving, in reaching out to people, in personal maturity and growth. We begin to see how this all-in mindset begins to touch every area of our lives, every relationship, every aspect of who we are. Going all-in for you. It directly affects everything we are, everything we do, everything we're a part of because it directly affects us. We become different. We become more mature than we've ever been. We become more spiritually minded. We become more filled with faith. We become more more filled with with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We begin to operate more in the gifts of the Spirit. We begin to look and talk and think and act more and more like the people of God we're supposed to be. When everybody else is angry and irritated and depressed at work, we've got this sparkle in our eyes and we've got a a joy about us that they don't understand. When days are difficult, we refuse to be negative because we're becoming different people. We're changing our attitudes about things that we've held on to for years. We're growing out of our selfishness and pettiness and immaturity and personal insecurities we're launching out into the waters of wisdom understanding maturity growth transformation father i just pray over these beautiful people today that they will understand how important it is to go all in to go all in for you all into your word, all into worship, all into giving, all into being in the house of God, all into praying for our families and developing a home altar, all into becoming the best version of ourselves that we can to be as much like Jesus as we can, to impact as many people and reach as many as we can, to be people who make commitments on those cards and we're going to see to it that we follow through on those. People who have discipline and respect for our own selves. Our word is our bond. Our commitments are things that we stand true to. I pray, oh God, that you grow all of us in this area. And we can see so clearly now how this is going to affect our marriage. Each partner in the word, each partner in prayer, each partner becoming their best version of themselves as Christians and disciples of Christ. Father, that's the makings of something beautiful. That's the makings of something that blows our minds. That's the makings of something that most people never even understand is possible, much less experience. I pray, oh God, that it's not just about having a great marriage. It's about being our best us, being the best me I can be, being a person who's all in, who understands that one great day we're going to stand before you, and at that point nothing else is going to matter except all in. Everything else is going to be window dressing. I pray you speak to us, and I pray, Lord, that right now you encourage every person. Encourage and build them up to know that you can help them forgive. 
You can heal the wounds they've suffered. You can, you can help them get out of their past habits and cycles and rituals and, and things that, that have bound them or trapped them or held them where they are. Even things we haven't yet consciously identified that keep us down. You're going to help us grow out of these things and shake these things out of our lives so that we can rise up to a whole new place of personal maturity and growth in you, oh God. Now those kind of marriages have got possibility. Those kind of marriages have potential. I pray, oh Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, in this moment of sacred respect for the presence of God, I'm going to ask everybody here to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I know this is obvious, but we need to deal with these things. Sometimes we carry sin around in our lives and we enjoy it. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin. But we struggle with it. And the reason we struggle with it is because we know it's wrong. We don't have to have a revelation. Nobody has to see something weird. We just, we just have to realize what I've been doing is wrong. This is sin. And if you're here today, and there's sin in your life. The moment I say those words, you know it. You know the answer right away. I'm going to ask every person to start, if you haven't yet, start your journey on all in with a commitment to have a pure, clean heart before God and not to play any games with yourself or with God. If there's sin in your life, you know it. When I count to three, if there's sin in your life, without a second's hesitation, if there's sin in your life, when I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes and look at me. And I want you to do it because it's the right thing to do. And God brought you here for this moment. Are you ready? One, two, three. Lift your eyes and look at me right now. I see your eyes and your eyes and yours and yours. I see yours and yours and yours and yours. Praise God for your honesty. Praise God for your honesty. Praise God for your honesty. Now, I think sometimes we we do stuff and we're, we're kind of undecided about how serious we are about it. We, 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 we think that all this stuff needs to be secret, you know. But I'm going to tell you something. There's great power, great power, immense power in making a public stand for Jesus Christ. There is. In fact, the Bible says, if you're ashamed of men before me, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father and the angels. I'm going to give you the chance of a lifetime. Because everybody in this church has come to this altar for this purpose before and may have to do it again. Amen? So nobody's judging anybody here. This church is 100% in support of every person who lifted their eyes just now. We love you and we support you. And nobody's judging anybody here. So I'm going to give you this chance. If you were one of those people and you lifted your eyes and you looked at me and you mean business with God, and this, this is going to go a long way to determining, did you really mean business? I'm going to ask you without a moment's hesitation, with your head held high, fearless and courageous, to step out of where you are, every one of you without exception, and come stand right across the front of this church right now. Don't even think about it. Come on. Come on. Let's give God praise for them as they come. Come on. That's right. Every one of you. Come on. Yeah. 
That's right. God can do something with people like this. This is the real deal right here. This is the real deal. Now see, this is what I'm talking about. This right here is what I'm talking about. I respect you so much for coming down here. I do. I respect you so much. Take strength and courage, and you've done the right thing. Because nobody here is judging you. We've all been there. And we may be there again. Now I want everybody just to stretch your hands in these guys' direction. Now guys, listen, I'm going to pray a prayer, but I want you to know there's no little special secret prayer they teach you in Bible college. This is something that has to be real in your heart. And if you mean this, my words are just a framework for you to hang your faith on. The issue is that you mean this. You mean this, and when we get done, you're going to be just as saved, just as clean as anybody ever has. You just got to mean it with all your heart. So everybody in the church is going to pray it out loud with you behind me. So I want everybody in the house and you guys who came to the front, pray this out loud behind me and the church is going to pray it with you and pray it just like this. Ready? Heavenly Father, you know everything about me. I confess my sin. And confession means I'm sorry. But I also repent of my sin. And repentance means more than I'm sorry. Repentance means I turn away. I run to you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life right now. Forgive me of all my sin. Put a new heart in me. Today I accept you by faith as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. From this day forward, I am a new creation. Now let's give God praise in the house. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All in. Jesus went all in for us when he died on that cross. God went all in for us when he gave us this word and the promises. He's gone all in for us because he's preparing a place for us in eternity so we can be with him forever. God is all about passionate, total, complete commitment. That's what he's all about. That's what he wants from us too. Lift your hands all around the altar. Father, we thank you and praise you. We worship you today because you're God. And in you, we live and move and have our being. You're God. You're our source. You're our strength. And we thank you and praise you. Now, I pray you be with these beautiful people. Help them this, this week during Valentine's Day to, to be all in, to let you complete and go to completion in the works that you're doing in our lives. Help us be all in like we've never been before. People who are consumed with you, obsessed with you. Our lives revolve around you. Everything else we do is a sidebar. It's window dressing. It's all about you, Jesus. And you teach us and show us and create in us the heart and the attitude and the spirit you want us to have. And we thank you and we praise you for making us warriors of the faith, fearless and bold and certain of who we are becoming in you to become the best version of ourselves in Christ that we can to go all in. And I pray that our marriages are all in to your word, all into the blessing, all into the, the truth and the dynamics and the principles that make a great marriage. And let us never go back 
Let us never show fear. Let us never be afraid to come to the house of God and worship and dive in and be the people of God. Because when all this is over, only the people of God are going to be in heaven. The fearless warriors of the kingdom. I thank you and praise you now. May you bless your people. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God.